Let's take a moment and cultivate our motivation. And we appreciate the opportunity that this life affords us because we have all the conditions necessary to meet the Dharma, the Buddhist teachings, to practice it, to investigate the nature of our own mind and heart. And so let's use the opportunity very wisely and with a lot of energy. And one of the best ways to do that is to generate the motivation of loving kindness for all living beings and the altruistic intention to purify our heart and mind completely and develop our spiritual capacities limitlessly so that we can be more and more benefit to all living beings. Let's motivation right now. Buddha nature, the Buddha potential, and the others are precious human life. And uh, they both have chapters describing them in Open Heart, Clear Mind, which is kind of the resource book for our, our, um, our sharing the Dharma Day uh, sessions. So you can also uh, catch up by reading those chapters. But both of these um, meditations are designed, or both of these topics are designed to help us to really appreciate what we have going for us in our life and to really see our potential and the conducive circumstances we have for actualizing it. Uh, and so both of these topics are the antidote, antidotes to depression, to uh, putting ourselves down and feeling hopeless and worthless and all that fun stuff we like to get ourselves stuck in. Um, and instead, they help us to really see everything that we have going for us in our life so that we have a sense of enthusiasm and energy about the possibility that our life affords us. Because I think a lot of times, and, and this is something we'll explore some, uh, some in the discussion group this afternoon, um, I think a lot of times we feel emotionally low uh, because we don't really have a sense of purpose in our life. Mm-hmm. Kind of society and the, uh, the American dream gives us one message of what, how we're supposed to use our life and, and what the meaning is, which is basically to make money and to be nice to our friends and hate our enemies. But, you know, that doesn't really give you such a, a good feeling about the purpose of your life. You know, it's like, okay, you make money, but then when you die, it all stays here. So, what? You know, what's the purpose of making it? worrying so much about it and then if we hold the purpose of our life to be you know being nice to our friends and hating our enemies well 
as one of my teachers pointed out, that animals do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you look at our cats inside there, if you have pet dogs at home, you know, your dogs love you if you're their friend, which means you give them food. And if you don't do nice things, then they bark. Yeah, and so, you know, human beings are kind of the same way. You know, you're nice to me, and I wag my tail. <laughs> you know, I'm nice back, and you're mean to me, and I bark. You know, except I bark in words and say all sorts of nasty things. You know, dogs are at least a little bit more civilized about it. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, we don't have so much feeling of, you know, well, what's the long-lasting benefit of purpose in my life? Where am I going? I'm running around busy all day, but for what? Yeah. And so I think this is because of a a lack of of, um, spiritual purpose and spiritual direction in, in our life. And because of that underlying confusion, you know, and, and lack of, of spiritual content, then a lot of people just, you know, have the spiritual anxiety and wind up in, you know, this state of spiritual angst that they then medicate themselves with using drugs and alcohol, you know, or TV and Internet and, you know, all this kind of stuff. We medicate our mind in a lot of ways. Um, but here in these Buddhist topics, they, you know, they're really pointing out to us that, that our life has some long-term and very far-reaching meaning and, and benefit that can be enacted from it. But we just have to see that and see what we have going for us so that then we can act upon it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we have no idea of our potential. So when we talk about Buddha nature, okay, or Buddha potential, we're talking about those aspects of us that can be transformed into the aspects of fully enlightened beings. Okay, now a fully enlightened being, a Buddha, is somebody who has eliminated all of the mental afflictions such as ignorance, clinging attachment, anger, pride, jealousy, laziness, rationalization, denial, justification, all this kind of stuff. Okay, so eliminated all those kinds of things that keep us mentally oppressed. And uh, a Buddha is also, fully awakened one, is also someone who has uh, taken the, the good qualities that are in our mind and enhanced them limitlessly. So the ability to have equal-hearted love, uh, equal-hearted care and concern for everybody, to have love and compassion and wisdom and generosity and ethical conduct and patience and, you know, so on. So many excellent abilities. And a Buddha is somebody who has developed those to the fullest extent. And so often, you know, we, we kind of hear about a Buddha and we go, well, that's very nice for other people. But I'm just little old me. You know, it's like, I can't understand algebra very well. I just barely got by. Uh, or, you know, I can't write very, wi- very well. I mastered algebra, but I can't spell. Or, you know, <laughs> you know I, I can't, I don't know how to do anything. I'm just little old me, kind of, you know, semi-incapable here. And... <laughs> 
and uh, you know we we don't we we box ourselves in so much by this very narrow limited conception of human potential and in theistic religions you know it's you're not allowed to think that you could become god or allah or, you know whoever it is because there's this irreparable gap between you and you know the the higher spiritual figures whereas in buddhism it's basically a continuum okay there isn't this chasm between us there's just a continuum in other words all the beings who are fully enlightened now haven't always been fully enlightened they were once ordinary confused people like us but the thing is and they, they had all the mental afflictions that we did and all the you know neuroses we have and everything like that but the thing is that they practiced the path and through practicing the path then they purified their heart mind they generated they developed their good qualities and you know that continuum yeah their mental continuum was then transformed into the mental continuum of a fully enlightened one okay so they've kind of done that they started out where we were they practiced they became fully enlightened ones and so there's no reason why we can't either okay so if we understand that potential and possibility then it's like oh wow you know i can do something really meaningful with my life because as a buddha you know somebody who who has purified all aspects then a buddha works just continually for the benefit of all living beings you know a buddha has completely overcome any kind of selfish desire yeah. so that seems kind of impossible to us doesn't it and uh, especially with our um the scientific view that we have now you know that we are innately um and inherently selfish and it's survival of the fittest and we just look out for ourselves and conquer everybody else and you know destroy them and then we reign supreme and this is you know it's kind of it started out as a scientific theory and it spread into all the uh different you know fields in in our society and i really think it's it's quite erroneous and it's very limiting and if we grow up thinking oh i'm inherently selfish then we never try to do anything about the selfishness and as a result our selfishness torments us yeah and then you know because we think that we're inherently selfish then we develop all sorts of philosophies you know advocating the benefits of selfishness uh <laughs> telling people a few days ago I was, there was a certain period in my life where i was reading a lot of ann rand mm-hmm. i don't know if you did that but i did in ninth grade and i became such a whore you know <laughs> i cannot tell you how completely awful i became reading that book that was saying be as selfish as you want and you know people who can't keep up you know i just throw them out the window you know because remember atlas shrugged that was a big book 
And I, you know, and looking back now, it's like, my goodness, what kind of mental state did I get into? Thinking that, you know, oh, selfishness is good, and then be selfish as possible. I was going to benefit everybody, especially me, of course. You know? And, and then coming in contact with His Holiness's teachings, and I brought this up yesterday at NIC, where His Holiness talks not so much about survival of the fittest, but survival of the most cooperative. And especially with human beings, we have to cooperate if we're going to sustain ourselves. So we do have the ability to cooperate, to be kind to each other, to overcome the the self-centeredness that plagues our mind. Because those beings who are Buddhists now, they started out just as self-centered as we are, you know, but there's a technique and a method for practicing the path whereby we can shed all of these useless attitudes and emotions and instead really cultivate the beneficial ones. Okay? And the reason this can be done is because all of the afflictive emotions and, you know, and wrong views that we have, they are all based on misperception. Whereas the beneficial emotions and views and attitudes are based on perceiving reality as it is. So then it makes sense if, you know, anger, for example, is based on misperception. Then if you see the nature of things how they are, then all these layers of misperception and the mental afflictions can be completely decimated. You know, they have no foundation to stand on. Whereas other emotions, like equal-hearted care and concern for everybody and love and compassion, generosity and so forth, these things are not based on these wrong perceptions, on the wrong views. And so therefore, you know, we can continue to cultivate, it, cultivate them because there's no opposing power that can make them go out of existence. Whereas there is the opposing power, the mind of wisdom, that can cut the ignorance and therefore, you know, completely eradicate the mental afflictions from our mind stream. Okay? So we have that potential to be able to do that. And I think it's nice to have that view of ourselves and that view of others. Because otherwise we look at other people and we just, you know, we look at their faults and we categorize them. And, you know, that one's an idiot, that one's a jerk, that one's a nincompoop. And we have all of our names that we call everybody, you know. And then the result of our our whole investigation is I'm the best one in the world. But then, of course, we don't like ourselves very much either. And so then we just like, oh, you know. Okay, so that worldview just really does not lead us anywhere productive, you know. Whereas, you know, if we develop a good view of others saying, wow, they have the potential to become fully enlightened Buddhists just like me. You know, okay, they're confused right now. Or okay, their mind might be overcome by, by anger right now or overcome by greed right now. But, you know, those... Uh, mental afflictions are not their basic nature. They can be removed from their mind and still they have, 
you know, some kind of innate goodness, innate purity that can be developed. And so that helps us so much when we can start looking at other living beings in that way. And because then, you know, there's always a sense of hope and optimism in our life. And we see that suffering is not a given. And, you know, there are antidotes to suffering and, and the, the mental afflictions that cause it. So when we talk about Buddha nature, there's, there's two aspects to Buddha nature. There's one aspect that's called natural Buddha nature, and another aspect that is sometimes transformed, uh, t- called, uh, translated as transforming Buddha nature or evolving Buddha nature. Uh, there might be other translations as well. Okay, But what they mean, okay, when we talk about natural Buddha nature, we're talking about, and we have a little bit of technical terminology here, the emptiness of inherent existence of our mind. Okay, So the fact that our mind or heart, uh, people, everything in the world, you know, does not have its own permanent inherent nature. Okay. So because our mind stream doesn't have a permanent inherent nature, that means that the mind can change. Okay? If we had some kind of permanent soul, yeah, if our mind were, you know, you called our mind a permanent fixed soul, some kind of essence of meanness, then we could never change because something permanent doesn't change, does it? Which would mean that we're always stuck being the way we are. And actually, we couldn't even grow up from a baby to an adult if we were permanent. And we couldn't change from one thought to another if we were permanent and inherently existing. Okay? So, there's no fixed kind of soul or person or essence of meanness that limits and traps who we are or what, uh, what our mind can become. Okay? So that exists, that emptiness or that lack of inherent existence is just the nature of the mind. It's not an added factor. It's just the ultimate nature, the underlying mode of existence of our heart and mind. So that means that everybody has it, and it also means that it can never be taken away. Now, we need to be careful here and not start thinking of this potential that we have to become a Buddha, the emptiness of the mind, and not start thinking of that as some kind of soul. Okay? We'll talk about this in a few more minutes. Yeah. But because, and I say this because we have the tendency to reify everything. Reify means like to make it solid and fixed. Okay? So the, the natural Buddha nature is this basic, you know, nature of the mind, the, the deeper mode of existence of the mind. Then the transforming Buddha nature are all the aspects of us that can be developed and increased and transformed until they become the omniscient mind of a fully enlightened one. Okay? So right now, we have the seeds of love, 
Okay, we have some love. Love is the wish for others to have happiness in its causes. We have love within us now. Our love is sometimes a little bit narrow because it focuses just on a few people. But we, but because we have that seed of love in our mind, we can gradually extend the field of beings that we love. Okay, and so that it goes beyond our own family and friends and to strangers, to people who are around us, to all living beings in whatever part of the universe they reside in. Okay, so we have that potential to expand that love. The same way with compassion. Compassion is the wish for someone to have to be free of suffering in its causes. So we have compassion now, but again, it's limited to a few people, and we want to expand it, and we have the ability to expand it. Okay? Same with generosity. We have it. We, want, we can expand it. Same with ethical conduct. We have it. We can expand it. Same with patience and endurance. We have it. We want to expand it. Same with joyous effort. Same with concentration. Same with wisdom. Same with all the, you know, the good qualities that a fully enlightened being has. We have those abilities within us now as seeds. And you see them come out in some way in our everyday life. But because our mind is also covered with defilements, these abilities have not been able to be increased and transformed to the, the capabilities of a fully enlightened one. Okay? But still, they're what we call the transforming Buddha nature. Yeah? Because, again, these things cannot be removed from the mind. And if we practice, we can make them evolve or transform or increase so that they become the qualities of a fully enlightened being. Okay, you with me? So, the, the thing is, really, for us to learn how to practice and develop these abilities, and then to actually sit down and do it. Yeah? Um, in Buddhism, we have very much to be responsible for ourselves. It's true that we make prayers and requests to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, but we have to do the work. So, you know, this, this little thing that we learned as kids about you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. The horse has to drink itself. So in the same way, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas guide us, but we're the ones who have to learn and practice. Nobody else can do it. And so Holiness, the Dalai Lama, really emphasizes this a lot. He says, you can't just sit there and pray, oh, Buddha, 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 you know, help me to generate love and compassion, help me to become free of arrogance and pride. You know, Buddha, 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 you do it. Um, and, and then meanwhile, we go and, you know, have tea, surf the internet, wait for the Buddha to do what Buddha's supposed to do. You know, that's not going to work. Yeah, we have to exert the energy. But if we exert it because cause and effect work, you know, the results will come. Now, one um, analogy is very helpful in thinking of our Buddha nature. Uh, And this is the analogy of the sky and clouds. So today is a really good example. Okay, there are lots of clouds here. Yeah. Has the sky gone out of existence? No. Okay. The sky still exists. 
we just can't see it because the clouds are covering it. Yeah. Is there anything that can make the sky go out of existence? No, the sky is just empty space. Nothing can cancel it out. Okay. So the sky, you know, the luminous, wide, spacious sky is always there. But when the clouds are here, we can't see it. So in a similar way, if we take, you know, the natural Buddha nature as being like the, the, open, the wide open, you know, spacious sky, and then all of our ignorance, anger, and attachment, and reject, you know, resentment, and grudges, and, you know, all of our mental rubbish, that becomes like the clouds on, you know, covering the, the pure Buddha nature, then, you know, some days we may feel like very confused or our mind might be under the influence of afflictions. But that's not the nature of our mind. That's not, when you get down to it, all the, that there is in the mind. It's like the clouds, you know. It just obscures the nature of the mind temporarily. So they're called adventitious afflictions because when we apply the antidotes of wisdom and so forth then these afflictions can be chased away you know they are eradicated and the pure nature of the mind remains so I think that's a, a very helpful analogy to get a sense of you know that we have some kind of basic goodness or basic purity in there that cannot be removed and so then when I'm you know because we all go through ups and downs in life so on times when our mind's a little bit you know overwhelmed by, by something then to just say oh these are like clouds in the mind they are not the essence of who I am you know they're just temporary clouds and so you know all this sadness or all this grief or this anger whatever it is it's just temporary in the mind and it can be completely eliminated. Okay? So that's the whole topic of Buddha nature and you know when, when we think about it it gives us a lot of energy in our lives. You know, it gives us some, some sense of hope and you know where we can go because we don't have to be limited by all the conditioning that we've received in our life and we don't have to be limited by you know even the mental afflictions that have come with us from previous lives all these things can be eliminated okay so knowing that then we get some kind of vision in our life of some of becoming something meaningful okay because wouldn't it be nice if we could have uh, love and compassion for every living being equally not partial love and compassion not being like the dogs who have love and compassion for the ones who they like and not for everybody else but you know really fulfill our human potential and have love and compassion for everybody even people we don't like even people we disagree with even people who harm us because also when we see them we're seeing that they have that Buddha potential in them they aren't just who they appear to be you know to our misconception mind right now they also have a pure nature and so do we okay and so that gives us an ability to look beyond and to 
to have a, a view of what we can become that is that is really um, very meaningful. Yeah, I can imagine what we could do if we had infinite love and compassion for everybody. And not only that, but if we had wisdom to know how to help and skillful means that knew what to do, and if we weren't hampered by our self-centeredness, you know, because we have the compassion, then we could do so much, couldn't we? Okay. So we have this Buddha nature, this Buddha potential. Then we also have a precious human life, which means that we have the ability right now to actualize our, this, pre- this precious Buddha nature and this precious potential. Okay? And so we have the ability with the various conditions we have in this very life, you know, to cleanse our mind, to develop our good qualities, to transform into a fully enlightened being. And we may take our life very much for granted. You know, we just kind of wake up in the morning and, okay, just me sitting here, what else is new? You know, planet Earth, big deal. Uh, you know, but if we, we began to have a bigger mind that understood what cyclic existence was about or what the universe was really about, we would understand that there's a lot of different life forms in this universe, you know, not just planet Earth, a lot of different life forms. And most of the beings who, ha- who abide in these different realms or different life forms do not have the same ability to, to uh, open up their Buddha potential that we do. Okay? Because, well, even take, okay, take our kitties. They're sweet and adorable and cuddly, but, you know, okay, one of the causes for actualizing our Buddha potential is keeping good ethical conduct. Now, now we talk to our cats a lot about not killing mice, you know, and not chasing chipmunks. And just a few days ago, someone was going out the back door, and a mouse, kind of foolish mouse, was standing right at the back door. And the cat was standing on the other side of the door and went zip. You know, and as for as many times as we have told Achala not to kill living beings and not, and that, you know, the mice really don't want to be bit and chewed on, you know, just like he doesn't want to be bit and chewed on, he doesn't have the capacity to understand, you know. And instead, when we try and keep him from, from you know, chasing a mouse, he thinks we'll be mean. You know, and he hisses at us. And then when he gets his mouse and we take it away, then he's even madder, you know. So you can see, you know, here here he is, very close to hearing the Dharma teachings. Mm-hmm. I can't understand even the first precept about not to kill. Yeah? So when, when you look at it that way, hey, you know, we're born as human beings. At least we can understand when somebody explains to us, you know, why not to kill. Yeah, we can understand the words and we can understand the reason behind the meaning, you know, that, that those words are conveying. So the cats can't lots of different life forms. You know, on this one piece of land, we have 240 acres here. Think of how many different living creatures there are. Okay? 
So, you know, we have our moose that comes by and some deer and, you know, sometimes raccoons and skunks and, you know, those are the big ones. Okay, how many stink bugs? Yeah, you'll see them all in the house. They all come out this season. You know, lots of stink bugs. How many ants? Oh, my goodness. You should see it in the spring and summer. How many? I don't know if you guys live in the countryside. So many ants. Yeah, and bees and wasps. You know, so if, if you just count numerically, or even you just take the area around the house, not even all 240 acres. Actually, if you have a democracy, the house belongs to the insects. <laughs> yeah? And they are very kind to let us human beings live there. Because compared to them, we're, we're not very many. Yeah? So you think here, all these living beings, they have minds, they have the Buddha potential, but they don't have the circumstances to actualize the Buddha potential. Okay? Because they don't have a human body with a human brain that gives us the human intelligence and the ability to, to understand language and communicate meanings and think about them. You know? Our kitties think, but they mostly think about food. They think about food and finding a nice, comfortable place to go to sleep. (laughs) So they don't have the ability that we human beings do. So this is a special thing about being a human being. We should really cherish and, and not take for granted. You know, just having human intelligence. Also, we have... uh, we have some kind of spiritual yearning and spiritual inclination and we're taking steps to act on it. And I think that's a part of ourselves that is very special, you know, that we really need to respect in ourselves is the spiritual aspect. And I know general American society does not encourage that, you know, but, you know, if we have it, we should respect and value that part of ourselves. And, and really let it out and act on it because that's the thing that's going to, going to enable us to search out teachers and teachings and a system of practice and, you know, to go ahead and practice and do things. It's that spiritual interest. And, you know, we shouldn't assume that everybody has it on in equal ways or on equal <coughs> levels because, um, you know, like I go to sometimes to Bodhaya, which is the the place in India, uh, in the Buddhist world, that is held to be the most sacred, where the Buddha sat down and meditated and attained full enlightenment. So there's lots of people who come there to meditate and offer aspirations. And, you know, they all have that spiritual yearning. And yet, at the same time, there's all these people who come to Bogaya to do business. Yeah? Because you can make good business when there's all these spiritual pilgrims there. You can sell pictures of the Buddha. You can sell Bodhi leaves. You can have a hotel. You can sell tea. You know, there's so many people there that come just to, for the tourist business. Yeah. And here they are in one of the most sacred, special plan- places on the entire planet. But they never think about the Buddha except to sell an image of him. 
you know, they never think, oh, you know, kind of what qualities does the Buddha have? Do I have those qualities? And, you know, what can I, what's, you know, where's my spiritual heart? And, you know, what can I do with it? They don't think like that. So the fact that we do, that we have that spiritual yearning, it's not something that we should get arrogant and conceited over and look down on others for. That's not suitable to do. But it's something in ourselves that we should really appreciate and respect. And not just take for granted. But really, you know, put some energy into nourishing it. And then we also live at a historical time where the Buddha has manifested on our earth, where he gave the teachings, where those teachings still exist, where we have the ability to contact teachers and read books and practice together and meet the monastic community. You know, and not everybody on this planet has that ability. You think of the, the countries without religious freedom. Now there was a time in in Tibet that if your if you were your lips were moving saying mantra, they would arrest you and throw you in prison. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends, Alex Burson, he's he's going to be teaching in um, on November eighth at uh, at NIC. Anyway, Alex. Uh, many years ago, before the, the, the fall of the communist uh, countries, he used to go to some of them to teach. And he told me one time, when I think it was in Czechoslovakia, you know, whenever, when they wanted to have teachings, they had to have it at somebody's flat, at somebody's you know, apartment, because you couldn't rent a place, because you weren't allowed to have spiritual events, you know. There's no religious freedom. Then everybody had to come at different times. You couldn't all come at 10 o'clock, because you couldn't otherwise, you know, make too much attention come. And then the, the flat was very small. It was just had one room, uh, like a front room and then one back room. So in the front room, they set up, you know, they had the table and they set it all up as if they were playing cards. Okay? So they had, you know, drinks around the table and snacks and everybody had their dealt hands around there. And they left that in the front room and then they went into the back room to have the teachings and in case they heard people you know like if the police were to come up you know and knock on the door they could very easily rush in sit around the table with cards and be playing cards when the police came now imagine having to go through that in order to even hear a teaching like what we're hearing today you know, you didn't have to go through that. You just got in the car, drove up here, very comfortable. Yeah, no fear, no nothing. Yeah. So this is, you know, why we have this religious freedom. We should really cherish it, not let it be taken away from us, and take full advantage of it. You know, because it's very, very precious. You know, I mean, can you imagine trying to learn anything about the Dharma when you can't even meet together? And when, you know, if you do meet somebody, you're afraid of getting arrested and beaten. That's really rather scary, isn't it? So, you know, these kinds of opportunities that we have, um, we shouldn't take for granted, but we should really, really use. 
Okay. So there's a whole meditation in Sutra Human Life detailing all of these. I didn't speak about all of them now, but you can learn about them later. But it's you know it really makes us appreciate who we are. And I think the fact that we have all of our faculties um, intact, you know, it's it's a great a great blessing. Yeah. Because again, there's many people on the planet whose faculties are not intact, and it makes a big hindrance for for meeting the Dharma. Uh, I remember one time, many years ago, I went to Denmark to teach, and um, one of the people who invited me, she worked in a home for um, uh, I don't know what the politically correct word is. Huh? Disabled adults? Uh, this was children. Okay, so d- mentally disabled children. Okay. Um, so anyway, and Denmark's quite a, a rich country. So she, I said, I want to go and, you know, I want to meet the kids. And so she took me to the place she worked. And so we, I remember walking into this room, and there was a huge big room with all these colorful toys and you know, it's like it was like a kid's galore, just colorful toys and different things. And I was just struck by the color, the vibrancy of the color, when I first walked in. And then I was looking for children, and and I, and I started hearing, uh, you know, just these kind of groans and uh, 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 you know, these very strange sounds. And I'm looking for kids. And then I realized that amongst all these colorful toys, there are lying these disabled kids, you know. And some of them are, were uh, lying on like little um, boards with wheels, you know, so they could kind of paddle themselves along. Some of them couldn't even move to that extent. And they were lying, you know, quite large kids, big kids, in kind of cribs, you know. And just, it was so sad seeing this because here they had all this incredible wealth. But, you know, because of karma, they didn't have the faculties to be able to, to use language and to hear and understand and, and to move. You know? So it really made me appreciate just the kind of fortune that I have to to have the faculties intact, yeah? because very easily, you know, like that, I could have been born like that. So again, it's nothing to get arrogant about, you know, and dismiss other beings about. But instead, it's it's something to say, "Wow, I'm just incredibly lucky and fortunate, and so I should make use of this fortune and really do something meaningful with my life." since I have this Buddha nature, this potential and ability to become a fully enlightened being. Okay? And so in that way, when we think about all these different um, aspects of our present life, our present precious human life, then we really come to see how much we have going for us. And then... What that does is it cancels out the mind that likes to bellyache, you know, because we always like to bellyache, you know. Uh, Everybody else has it better than me. I'm deficient in this area, 
you know, or poor me, nobody loves me, or poor me, you know, my eyes are bad, or poor me, this, that, the other thing. We can sit and get stuck in the glasses half empty mentality and just complain and make ourselves very depressed, you know. And to some extent, our, our consumer culture emphasizes that. Because it's good for the pharmaceutical companies, too, you know. Um, it's good for the, 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 the people, you know, gin and bourbon, you know, teach us to, to hate ourselves, and then we all go out and buy things to try and make it better. But, you know, if we really look, we have so much going for us in our life. You know? And so we should have some self-confidence and some, some self-respect for the... You know, not only our Buddha nature, but also the fact that we have this spiritual interest and ability to meet the teachings, capacity to understand and practice. Okay? And so in that way, you know, not waste our time on the few small things that we would like to be improved, but really make use of all the good things we have going for us. Okay? So that is precious human life and Buddha nature in <laughs> 55 minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay.